Okay, so chapter 2, dwell on the positive. Positivity bias. If anybody has any questions from the weeks before, ask me some other time. No, just joking. All right. So as always, I like to start the reading. And here we go. Oh, there's Ben. Have you ever wondered why newspapers are so full of bad news? Anybody who's been to... If you've heard about five or six of my chaburas, you would know at some point I'm going to take a hit on the news. And the, for lack of better terms, the stupidity of it, the ridiculousness of it, the negative vibes, death, pain, just this ridiculousness that we pay attention to such things. So it's crazy enough that people listen to it, but have you ever wondered why newspapers, why are newspapers so full of bad news? Why are people buying into this stuff? Or why are people often spend so much t- more time fretting about what's wrong in their lives instead of appreciating what's going on right now? Or what's going, going right? What are we wasting our time with all the things that are going wrong? That doesn't help. Let's think about what's going right and let's build on that. Why do painful experiences take up so much real estate in our memory? And why are they so much easier to recall than pleasurable ones? Why do we often feel that it is our negative experiences that define us rather than our positive ones? So what's with this negativity bias? Scientists have coined the term negativity bias to describe this phenomenon. It's a wonder. It's a wonder the amount of negativity that flows through our minds. They describe this phenomenon how human consciousness relates to the world. Essentially, Our negativity bias ensures that experience of a more negative nature have a greater effect on our psychological state and consequent behavior than neutral or positive ones, even when they are of equal intensity. So not only do we think more naturally in a negative way, negative tone, negative feelings, negative thoughts, those negativities then are more powerful in our mind and they last longer and they they sting much more. So for a minute, I'm sorry. I want to go a little a little bit a little bit deep. Two minutes, three minutes. What's the source, maybe? I can't say for sure. Naftali, don't don't bomb me with a thousand questions. You could ask me later. But what's the source that we think this way? That negativity is such a strong pull in our life, even more than positivity. So, it might sound funny, but the word negativity starts with a, with a word, nega. Right? Like nega tsaras. Right? A nega means a blemish. A nega means something that's bad, it's, it's trouble. But you know what a nega means? It means something that's imperfect. It's not perfect. Now, where does imperfection come from? What's the original imperfection? So those who learn Chumash will say, the sin, etadas. But those who learn the Svarim know a little bit more, and the real imperfection came when a Kaddish Baruch wanted to create a world. And he was infinite in nature, and therefore there could be no world until he was mitzamtzim himself, he constricted himself, he hid himself, and in that void of a revealed 
God, a world could be built. The second that a Kaddish Baruch Hu constricted himself, which needed to be done for us to be here right now, that created an imperfect, an imperfectness of some degree, not in God, but in what was going to be created. By definition, if a Kaddish Baruch Hu is hiding himself, there has to be some level, some manifestation of imperfectness. The only perfectness, perfectness is when he's Ein Sof, he's infinite. The second that he hides himself and he quasi uh, makes himself hidden, makes himself constricted, gives himself boundaries, that itself is an imperfect, an imperfect nature. Therefore, all the worlds down to our world right now is created first with an imperfectness and then we're created to come to perfect it. Therefore, there has to be a natural bias towards negativity. And it has to be that negativity plays a stronger role in our life until we work on it. Until we realize and come to the amuna that the world is perfectly imperfect. That the imperfections of this world are not negative. They're perfect. It's exactly how Kaddish Baruch wants it to be. It's part of the growth process. It's part of the binyan. When you get to that place, then everything can change to positivity. Does that make sense? I have a, qu- I have a quick question on that. Yeah. Is, is it that the world is imperfect and it's our, it's our vote of to perfect it or is it that the world appears imperfect and that we have to look a little bit deeper and realize that you know, Hashem's behind everything and it just seems imperfect but it really is perfect or you know it really is not perfect it really is both it, it really is both because there's different layers the hidden layer of the world where God is infinite you don't see that but God is infinite in your room right now he never was not infinite. It's just that he hid himself. So where he is, where he always is, it's perfect. The way we see with our eyes, through the eyes of constriction, is that it appears imperfect. So we have to view the world as perfect to align itself with its actual perfect nature. Which is run by a Kaddish Bhav at every moment without any Without any uh, exception. Does that make sense? Yaakov? I think so. Again, the world is perfect. In a Kaddish Baruch's eyes of this world... So it's, if it's perfect, so, so what's our Oh, Because he, he makes like this magic trick. In the constriction, we have like a world within a world. The world that we see with our eyes, naturally, it's imperfect. But if you would think with the eyes of Amuna, yes? Got it. Is there anything that's imperfect? So the work is to be done within ourselves. It's not like work outside in the world. It's not ah. like we're building, building yes. shuls and building yeshivas. It's, we're building internal yeshivas. If you, get the, if you get that, then you are on a roll, man. That's the main nakuda of everything in life, is that it's nothing on the outside, it's only on the inside. Who ca- that's what we're saying. Who cares what's going on on the outside? You could perceive it in a positive way. 
That's what the Lubavitcher Rebbe is teaching us. Let that, let that sunk, sink in a little bit. That's a very big einfall that you had. Okay. Naftali, I know you want to ask. We'll talk, we'll talk. See you over there. Okay, let's keep going. I think that's very important because we're going to learn even in this book a nakuda that's already external. That was like the, going to the deepest place of where negativity starts, which means it's natural. It's normal that we're like that. But our goal is to change that over. So he says, he says on the next page, on page 10, according to neuroscientists, right, again, there's neuroscientists, so they have Chachma, but they don't have Torah. So it's going to be true, but not fully true. According to neuroscientists, our brains have developed specialized circuits that register negative experiences immediately in emotional memory so that we can learn from them. Okay? So negativity goes right to our emotions and therefore we can learn from them. On the other hand, most positive experiences flow through the brain like water, through a sieve. We experience them, enjoy them, and quickly forget them. So our goal is to speed up the negative and slow down the positive. Slow it down, chew on it, enjoy it. We, we go through, when you have a steak that you love, you eat in three seconds. But if the steak tastes bad, you chew on it like, ugh, ugh. And you spend 10 minutes eating it because it's so hard to eat. Doesn't, shouldn't it be the opposite? When you're enjoying something, chew, it, chew the cud, man. Chew the cud. Be a kosher animal. Eat slow. Enjoy. You're in an experience with your family. With, you're out in nature. Enjoy it. Go slow. When, things, when you're thinking negative, get out of it fast. As fast as possible. Accordingly, we use much more brain space to scan and process negative experiences than positive ones. We're always looking with negative for the negative, skeptical. We're always skeptical of everything, nervous. Because negative stimuli, if not registered and responded to appropriately, can be fatal. That's already extreme. But that's, you know, the, the, the body is, is programmed to protect itself at all, by all costs. And therefore, it has to be negative by nature in order to protect itself. Fine. So the goal is stop being makir the ra and start being makir tov like we're supposed to be. Right? There's no, there's no midah called makir ra. Never heard of that one before. Hakaras hara. I've heard of hakaras tov before. We need to work on that. Out of necessity, we have become masters of fixating on the negative aspects of our lives and environments. But this is only natural. Right? Don't be hard on yourself. This is natural. This negativity bias is what allows us to remain vigilant in our efforts to register and respond to any potential dangers and imminent threats to our well-being, ideally before it's too late. Now, this is not just referring to physical. Like, maybe there's a guy with a gun around the corner. But we do it in a mental way and an emotional way also. We, we often are skeptical in our mind. We don't allow ourselves to be emotional with other people because of our negative bias. We don't want to get hurt. Right? If you open up your heart and become vulnerable, well, now you're vulnerable, you might get hurt. So there's a negativity that prevents us from that, although it then binds us and closes us up. And we're not experiencing life in its fullest sense. We need to learn how to open up, but protect ourselves from not getting hurt at the same time. The problem is that this negativity bias has a side effect. 
since we are always on higher alert for potential dangers, the positive aspects of our lives tend to get less attention. We experience a lot of tov, but we miss it. Pop quiz for everybody. Do you experience more tov during the day or more ra during the day? So if you're a guy who's not working on this book, you'd be like, well, today my boss yelled at me. I didn't make the train and dinner was really, really bad. So that's how you would define your day. But you're alive for 24 hours. You could see for 24 hours. You're probably married for 24 hours. You have kids for 24 hours. You could count a billion things that went right. But yet, nope, I missed the train. My boss yelled at me and dinner wasn't good. It's insanity how we think. But again, we're explaining where it's coming from. So it's only natural. It's coming to, quote-unquote, protect us, but we need to figure this out. This is not the way to live. When we receive a compliment, I discussed this, I don't know, maybe here or in a Chabur recently. When we receive a compliment, for instance, we feel nice for a moment, but then the brain shifts back to a more defensive mode, and we forget the warm, positive feelings. We might become skeptical of the compliment. Yeah, did he, what does he want from me? Why, is, it, is that true? Or, person gives a comment, you're like, yeah, but, you know, there's like 25 things I don't do well. Which is called, you think it's called anova? No, no, no. It's called anova psula. It's a puzzle type of anova. Where Kodesh Baruch is giving you the opportunity to become confident within yourself, and you're like, no, 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 no. I, I, no, no, it's not, it's not me, that's not me. That's, that's more dangerous. Similarly, if we have nine positive experiences or interactions during the day and one negative experience, it's most likely at the end of the day we will remember the negative experience most vividly, like we were just saying. We may therefore walk around in a low state of hypervigilance and anxiety. The whole day you're walking around in anxiety, negativities. We don't even realize. As a result, we tend, this is what happens. As a result, because now you're so, you don't realize it, but you're so on edge, you're so tight we tend to blow our negative experiences out of proportion. One person says a negative comment, we're like, whoa, why? what's wrong with you? Why are you being so mean? Where it was very tiny, but yet since we're the whole day, we're like obsessing over negativities, a little comment makes a big man go crazy. It's like when you know like we're scared of ants. We could kill a lot of ants, but sometimes you're like scared of it. It's insanity. So one little comment we like die from it. What are you? What are you? What are you? A baby? And I, I go through it sometimes also. And I think about it afterwards. You're like, what happened over here? But we don't realize that our mind is in this very negative, anxious, ridden, worried state. We're very fragile, very weak. And one little comment can talk blow us up. And we fail to contextualize them within the positive aspects of our life. So I got one bad comment, but eight thousand good comments today. Now I can't see that I got one bad comment. I'm not perfect. And if I'm not perfect, then, then, I, then it's bad. And that imperfection, that, that obsessiveness with imperfection and perfection comes really because, again, this whole world is created from a place of constriction from that imperfectness. So we become fixated on it naturally, obsessed with it. And we forget to contextualize them within the positive aspects of our life that we have forgotten in moments of stress. So if, let me finish off here. Establishing a positive mindset is therefore quite difficult as it goes against the grain of our established nature. And yet, 
Maintaining a positive perspective in the midst of hardship is essential to elevating one's quality of life. So we're going to offer the guest. Ben's going to, is going to, if he can, you have it? You want to read for us? Yep. Awesome. Get in there, buddy. Cool. Uh, where should I go to? Another page? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Just start reading it out and we'll, we'll stop you when uh, uh, need be. This is my negative thinking. <laughs> stop. All right. The Rebbe was well aware of the natural tendency of human consciousness to dwell on the negative. Nevertheless, he consistently insisted that we could change our experience of life for the better by making conscious and concerted efforts to focus and dwell on the positive. Indeed, as mentioned, the Rebbe once referred to his focus on seeing things positively, saying, I worked on myself to look at things in a positive light, otherwise I could not have survived. When one considers the immense challenges and devastating events the Rebbe experienced in his lifetime, this statement is truly remarkable. It's worth pointing out that the Rebbe's approach to dwelling on the positive, or what we refer to throughout this book as his positivity bias, was never meant to be a naive whitewashing or covering up of actual reality. In fact, what was so unique about the Rebbe's worldview and motivational theology was that it did not ignore or deny the harsh realities of life. Rather, it acknowledged and addressed them head on. Right, so this is, this is so important because a person might come from this book and say, okay, so I'm just going to close my eyes to all Ra and I'm going to pretend like it doesn't exist. And that's positivity bias. And, and we're learning that that's... That's Sheker, and that's silly, and you're going to get hit in the face with some kind of harsh reality at some point. The truth is, see it with the physical eyes, but then see it again with the eyes of Amuna, with the eyes of positivity. Because every situation, although harsh, people do die, people do get sick, people do have lacks of money, people are nervous, are, do have doubts. It's all true. And we might all experience it. But we also have to think about, but what's the positivity here? Where's the growth here? Where's the silver lining? What's the good behind this? It has to be. It has to be good. I know. What is it? Look for it. Seek the good. Don't just seek the bad and dwell on the bad. And the Rebbe is saying, you can do it. Even though naturally we run towards the negative, we're in like that news-oriented brain, like everything's always bad. How often do you see in the news, little, uh, little uh, Jody... Collins wins the uh, spelling bee. No. How many deaths today? How many people are sick? How many robberies, murders, rapes, right? The economy is dying. Nuclear war. And I don't even pay attention to the news, and I guarantee that was in the news today. I don't even pay attention to the news. But it's the same stuff. And people buy into it. Oh my gosh. Remember when, they, when COVID started and they had a death count? Everybody then was looking at the news. We had to know what was going on. They had a death count. 10 people dead. 20 people dead. 4,000 people. 40,000 people. 400,000 people dead. And everybody's like watching these numbers like, whoa. Insanity or sanity? Tell me. Tell me. I don't know what to say. Oh, that's how we think. All right, Ben. So again, so, so therefore, like the Rebbe is saying, see the world as it is with the external eyes. 
be careful. Don't look at the news. Uh, the news is ridiculous. But if you see harsh things, harsh things happen in your life. True. But how do you really see it? What's the purpose of the harshness? It's vada good. It's vada positive. Let's dwell on that. And then you'll be zochet to see it. You're in for us, Ben? You want to keep going? Yeah. Go for it. I actually tried to bring one thing up. Of course. I may have brought this up before, but I, I heard an intellectual person, and um, it's, it's also on the news, and they say the world is an anxious world. And I, the second I heard that, because I, I turned on this podcast to like do some like psychological learning and stuff like that. When she started off, the world is in such an anxious place. I was like... It, I was, I was like, it's not. Like, if you're anxious, it doesn't mean the world is anxious. Like, how can you control it? So that's, I'm thinking, like, but is the world really anxious? You know, like, is planet Earth anxious? Does planet Earth get anxious? Do the Himalayas get anxious? No, man. Probably it's, not. No, it's because the news says it's anxious, so then it becomes anxious. Yeah. <laughs> the news doesn't know what's going on in my house. I'm actually, I'm very calm. I'm happy. <laughs> Had a great night. Yeah. Me too. Night. Yeah, I hear you, man. All right, keep going. Cool. All right, one example um, among many is the following response throughout the to someone who wrote despairingly their life. No satisfaction. Deb writes, I received your letter in which you described your economic circumstances and certain other conditions which are the causes of your dissatisfaction and lack of spiritual gratification. If you have a copy of your letter and will reread it again in a more objective frame of mind, I think you will come to the conclusion that human life on this earth, unfortunately, is not free from various factors which bring about unhappiness, and that this is universal, though the causes vary. To go through life in, a, in complete happiness is not destined for men. One of the basic things, however, is to have a clear vision on the fundamental issues and to cultivate appropriate expectations and attitudes. Um, the ultimate goal is not to completely avoid or remove all challenges or conflicts in one's life. That, according to the Rebbe, it's impossible. And we see that it doesn't even guarantee our happiness because so much depends on our perspective in relation to our actual circumstances. If you remember from two weeks ago, the, he said, Adam Rishon complained in Gan Eden. So you're in Gan Eden, but it doesn't matter that you're in Gan Eden. It matters how do you perceive Gan Eden. You could see Gehenna as, Gehen- as Gan Eden, Gan Eden as Gehenna. within our power to cultivate attitudes in order to process and integrate all of our experiences, including the negative, in a way that liberates rather than limits our potential for success and happiness. Seeing life from a wider angle than just our own immediate experience is crucial for a step in shifting our negative response patterns. So so I want to um, point something out here. That the Rebbe said to this person, if you would reread your letter from an objective frame of mind... Now, this person wrote this letter. is obviously subjective to his life. And he was writing about difficulties. And the Rebbe says, just reread it again from objectiveness. What's the Rebbe saying to him? How could you, how could he do that? He wrote the letter from himself, from his experience. And he wrote it down, which is subjective by nature. How could the Rebbe just say, just don't worry, just read it again objectively. How do you do that? So... The Rebbe is a genius, obviously, in psychology also. When a person is in this state of negativity, it's, it's connected with emotions. 
Now, the emotions of a person, right? when you have negative emotions, whatever that might be, selfishness, <clears throat> jealousy, dissatisfaction, these types of emotions, the subjectiveness creates a narrow-mindedness, a katnas amochen, a smallness. So when you're writing something, it's coming from that very narrow place because you were emotional. It closed you off. But later, when you're out of that emotion, he sent the letter, he like got it off his chest. And the Rebbe's response was, go pick up your letter again. Now that you're not being emotional at this moment, because you're not writing the letter now, you're waiting for my response, with hope, maybe, that the Rebbe will give him a positive, you know, some advice. Now go pick up your letter again. Automatically, you're going to be a little bit more objective because you're not emotional right now about it. And now just reread it again. Reread what you wrote from your more naturally positive or more objective place that you're in right now. You'll see that which you wrote is not the full emis. Just from the very fact that you're not being emotional right now, you will see the holes in your thinking, your logic then. Because there's some unwritten rule, which is, it's, listen to this theory. Not only do we have this natural tendency to negativity, but we also have a natural tendency to something totally the opposite, which is a pillow that we could do both at the same time, and it creates a lot of problems. So again, on one hand, we have this natural disposition towards negativity. Yet at the same time, everybody, Kimat, everybody lives with the rule that everything should go well. Everything in my life should go exactly according to the way that I want it. Right? And then when, how do I know? Because when something goes wrong, you get upset. Well, why are you upset? Because it didn't go my way. But because if you didn't think it should go your way, then when things don't go your way, you'd be okay. So listen to this insanity in human nature. We are thinking depression and negative. And at the same time, we're thinking, uh, uh, what's the word? Like too much positivity or it's too much selfishness that everything should go my way. Like, like a utopian society. How do we live with this, these two contradictory natures? We're, we're in for trouble. That's why people's lives are like the stock market, like I always say. Up, up, down, down, up, up, down. Never, it's never for a moment just like good, steady. Every moment it's either I'm getting what I want, not getting what I want. Getting what I want, not getting what I want. It's a craziness. And it's all based on the external realities like Yaakov was saying. It's nothing to do with the internal. So... We have to first, the first, under, the first job is to realize, A, that the imperfections of life, the negativity of life, we can fix. That's our job. And the unwritten rule that everything should go our way is not true. It's not true. If I would tell you today, tomorrow, tomorrow, five things are not going to go your way. It's written into, that's a rule. I'm telling you a rule. Five things are not going to go your way tomorrow. So I'm, I'm, exp- I'm preparing your expectations. Don't expect everything's going to go your way. Five things are not going to go your way. Now imagine you actually believe me. Now you get up in the morning. Shoot, you woke up 10 minutes late. Oh, 
he told me that five things are going to go not my way. So, oh, this must be number one. Okay, cool. I could do this. If, if I didn't tell you, you'd wake up all upset. Now your whole day is ruined. No, but I, but I told you five things are not going to go your way. Then you, you, know, you get to work and uh, the coffee spills on, on your pants. Oh, and, and some things come to your head, you know, certain words. And they go, oh, Yermi told me five things aren't going to go your way. This, this is number two. Could you imagine if we would think like that in our life? Not to think depressed, but to think realistic. To think realistic. How things would change, no? I'm telling you right now that your kids are only going to listen to you four out of ten times. Do you know how much less screaming and anxiety there would be in the house? I'm preparing you. They're only going to listen to you four out of ten times. Okay, good. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. They li- good, I got the six out of the way. Let's, let's start with the four now. But you understand. We have to know what to expect. What's the appropriate expectations? We have like this crisscross, which is like a stira. All right, Naftali, let's go. But I want to skip, actually, even though everybody should read and, and they should read 13, but it's getting a little late. And I, do, I don't know if we're going to finish, but I, you could read 13 on your own. Let's go to 14. The bottom. Don't forget what you have. One significant side effect of the negativity bias is that we tend to fixate on what is lacking in our lives rather than on what we have. In another pointed letter written to an individual who was struggling financially and complained that he had never experienced goodness in his life, the Rebbe wrote, in response to your letter which in which you write about your current situation and that throughout your life you have not experienced any good, it seems that you do not sense fiction in your letter. For a man whom God has blessed with a wife and children, to say that he has never seen any good is ungrateful to an alarming degree. Hundreds, even thousands of people pray every day to be blessed with children and will give everything they own to have a single child, but have not as of yet merited this. But you, the recipient of blessing, which it seems came to you without you having to especially pray for it, don't recognize the wealth and happiness and the blessings you have, and you write twice in your letter that you've never experienced any good. It is worth noting that the writer himself never had children and deeply understood this particular pain on a personal level. He was, therefore, in a unique position, not just spiritually, but existentially, to point out the magnificent blessing that this person had received and that they were, judging from the Rebbe's response, taken for granted. Too often, we simply don't keep the good things in our life at the forefront of our mind. We are too busy scamming, scanning for threats and dangers. They, therefore, tend to quietly and quickly recede into the hungry shadows of our long-suffering complaints. These complaints, if left unchecked, naturally override our awareness and skew our evaluation of life. So it's very important that, that you know, we, as we're talking about positivity bias and people are thinking, like, what do I do? We're speaking very high-level understandings. First is to understand this sugya as we're trying to. But one proactive way that we can start changing, turning the tide is to proactively focus on the tov in our lives. Start making it real. Don't take for granted the breath you take, the step you take, your wife, your kids, or whatever else it is. Your learning, your work, your, your talents, your whatever you have, don't take it for granted. Appreciate it. S- expand it. Chew on it. Right? Like we said before. It's tasty. Chew its cud again and again. Not just like, okay, good, I got that. That was good yesterday. It's good today. So fine, bite there. No. Dwell on the positive. That starts to change the tide of the mind from negativity to positivity because you start to build up your positivity bank account. Right? And, you know, in, 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 in Gemara's, we talk about chazaka. A chazaka is something that is like 
the, the current way. And sometimes you have to change chazakas. But the chazaka, whatever, we pass kind of like a chazaka. If, you know, nine out of ten stores are a certain way, so that's the chazaka. So we, even if we don't know which one this came from, this piece of meat came from, it's like the nine stores, because that has the chazaka. So if we're naturally built, or naturally born with a chazaka towards negativity, we have to start changing that chazaka. And we can only do that, not by just speaking about the sugya, but by actually start focusing and dwelling on the positive until we change the chazaka towards positive, and then you'll start to see everything in positive. Even everybody is saying, nine hundred people are saying, look, this is the worst thing in the world. You'll be that one guy, like the Rebbe, to say, yeah, but there's good here. Yeah, Neftali, go for it. Right. Um, count your blessings. In another letter to someone who complains about their life, the Rebbe alludes to the blessings recited every morning. In particular blessings, take note of and thank God for some of the very basic, basic amenities of human the gift of a new day, the ability to see the clothes we wear, the earth beneath our feet, and the strength to carry on. Actively beginning each day by acknowledging the blessings we often take for granted allows us to gain a proper perspective on our life so that we are not overwhelmed by ignoring negativity and anxiety. To the contrary, we are filled with gratitude for all the tiny miracles in our life. I read your letter with great shock. If you pay attention to the simple meaning of the 18 morning blessings in which you bless God at the beginning of every day, you will see that you have been blessed with all of them. In addition, you have been blessed with good health, good parents, good education, a good community, a good profession, livelihood, and more. If so, what is the ju- what is the justification for your complaints? No matter what else is going on in your life, if you are alive, you have something to be grateful for. You just need to take the time to recognize and appreciate it. Bam. One way to focus on the Bam. positive is literally count your blessings every day, no matter how small they may seem. For this end, our safest instituted that we recite at least 100 blessings each day. This practice of near-constant expressions of gratitude throughout the day has the power to sensitize us to God's gifts and present and presence all around us if we would but take the time to stop and notice over time this conscious attention to the blessings in our lives both large and small can help shift our default setting from an ungrateful negativity bias to a positivity bias focused on appreciation the craziness is that we could say brachas all day long mabisharumim right ozer yisrael begvuro so when we say brachas shakoni abedvaro the natural way of man is to think that's for God. Like, you're the one who, 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 who clothes the naked. But we fail to realize that I'm one of those guys who was naked, who has clothing now. Right? We, we say all the brachas all day long. We think we're like good from guys, so we're thanking Hashem. We're, we're, we're like praising Him. But we're forgetting to realize that we are the beneficiaries of that tov that we're praising Him for. So we totally miss the point of the bracha. And we say hundreds of them. Okay, you're the one who made the water. But I'm drinking Hashem's water right now. You made these delicious, you made grapes. But I'm the one who's eating these delicious grapes right now. Every bracha is an opportunity for us to dwell on positive. Personal, subjective positivity. Here we go. This practice of mere constant expressions of gratitude throughout the day. Where'd you go? In the right place? No, page, page 17. Page 17. Mm-hmm. Choose, first words, choose gratitude. Choose gratitude. Choose gratitude. For David the president of the Council of Orthodox Rabbis of Toronto, and his first audience with the Rebbe in 1952 when he enrolled 
in the central Lubavitcher Shiva in Brooklyn. What he remembers most from that initial meeting was the Rebbe's guidance on actively appreciating life. Don't take life for granted, the Rebbe said. In the morning when you wake up, thank God for everything that has been given to you. Many people go to sleep at night and when they wake up in the morning, they expect their shoes to be by their bed where they left them the night before. As they are getting dressed, they complain that the weather is too hot or too cold. Instead, they should be grateful that they are still alive, that their possessions are still with them, that a new day is beginning where they have the opportun- have an opportunity to do many good deeds. According to Rabbi this was a lesson he never forgot. It says, it's important to remember, as explored previously, that the Rebbe spent time as a refugee fleeing across Europe and the Atlantic Ocean during World War II. He knew firsthand what it meant to lose almost everything. For him to be able to give such advice after experiencing such horrors speaks volumes to his belief in and commitment to this practice of actively invoking and dwelling on the positive. Indeed, the Rebbe saw the cultivation of an attitude of gratitude as a pillar of Jewish consciousness and spiritual practice. The Rebbe's favorite prayer. As the following story conveys, the Rebbe cherished Judaism's daily practice of not taking things for granted above all else. When Rebbe Nachman Stillerman was a nine-year-old boy growing up in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn, he used to deliver groceries to community members, including the Rebbe's mother, Rebbe Zinchana Schneerson, of blessed memory. She was always very kind to him and would often invite him into her home for cookies and milk. On one such occasion, he mustered the courage to ask Rebetzin, what is the Rebbe's favorite prayer? She answered, of course, all the prayers are important. Yes, there must be one that is closest to the Rebbe's heart. I don't know which one that is, but the next time you see her, I will ask him on your behalf. The following week, when young Nachum saw the Rebetzin, she said, I'm so happy to have an answer to your question. It's a very short prayer. It's the first prayer we say in the morning, I offer thanks to you, living and eternal King, for you have restored my soul within me with mercy. Your faithfulness is great. That's it, he asked. Yes, she said, that's his favorite. Nachum was surprised by this answer. Moda'ani is such a short prayer, it doesn't even contain God's name. Indeed, it is the one prayer we recite while still in bed before getting dressed and formally starting our day. Surely one of the more elaborate and sophisticated prayers that are recited later in the day must be more important. But this prayer, above all others, was the Rebbe's favorite, alerting us to the cardinal importance he accorded to actively focusing one's attention on the gift of life and making this appreciation the cornerstone of one's consciousness. It's pretty amazing, though. Yeah. Okay, should we keep going? Yeah, there was something I wanted to just point out. And I, it slips my mind. Okay, I'll read. I'll, let's finish up fast. Ja- Yaakov, you around? Do you want to read? I don't know if he's still with us. One final point worth making is that from the Rebbe's perspective, dwelling on the positive is not just about generating a feeling of psychological well-being. It is also an actual investment in our future. According to the Hasidus, the words and feelings of gratitude <clears throat> that we express to, to God for the blessings we already have in our lives actually become the vessels and vehicles for new blessings and abundance to flow into our lives. In a certain sense, the expressions of gratitude in the present begets what to be grateful for in the future. So, gratitude, goreris, gratitude. In response to a strongly worded letter written by someone who was bitterly complained that they lacked any positive aspects in their life due to their myriad struggles, the Rebbe wrote, 
I'm not implying that one is supposed to struggle for a living or not, uh, or not enjoy perfect health, God forbid. My point is that perhaps the reason for your weak health and your difficulties in earning a living is your failure to appreciate Hashem's blessings in a far more basic matter than perfect health and abundant sustenance. The Rebbe is saying maybe you're actually in pain now from real issues because you have not appreciated what HaKadosh Baruch has done for you in the past. The blessing of sons and daughters who follow the ways of Hashem, for instance. You never appreciated HaKadosh Baruch for that, and therefore it turned into negative things like lack of parnasa. When one does not recognize the explicit good bestowed on them from Hashem, from above, particularly one's, one, one's lack of recognition is so extreme that it results in statements such as you express in your letter. Is it any wonder that more blessings are not forthcoming from above in other matters? When, when, the, when the kids complain to the parents, they might get a little bit, but they're not getting a lot. But when the kids come with gratitude to the parents, thank you so much for yesterday's trip, they're going to receive an abundance from their parents. My hope is that these few lines will suffice to open your eyes to see your situation in its true light. And when you, again, the Rebbe said, perfect health is not good, but see what the problem is. See where the tov is. And when you begin to serve Hashem with true and inner joy, surely Hashem will increase His blessings also in regard to health and sustenance. In another letter, the Rebbe makes a similar point and highlights the importance of expressing appreciation to Hashem for the blessings one has in one's life already before asking for more. Obviously, you must pray that Hashem fulfill all your needs from His full hand. But it must be preceded by thankfulness for His abundant kindness to you. That's why in Shemun Esrei, we praise and we ask and then we thank. We already thank HaKadosh Baruch before we even leave the Bakashas. HaKadosh Baruch will help us, have, help us all have good health. He didn't even do it yet. But it's training. Really, if we have to pay attention... We should constantly have the gratitude, the thanks, the hakar satov on our lips and in our heart. If we want more good in our lives and in the world, we must actively acknowledge and deeply integrate the positive aspects of life that we are already experiencing and be grateful to God who provides that good. To do this, we must counter the natural tendency to focus on the negative aspects of life surrounding us. Not that we should blind ourselves to the many threats and dangers in our midst, but we must learn to actively dwell in the positive that we do possess so that we are not overwhelmed by constant anxiety and feelings of lack, which block the flow of blessings that Hashem wants to funnel into our lives. Heartfelt appreciation open the gates for Hashem's abundance. I was interviewing, <coughs> we're looking for a babysitter now, and yesterday I was interviewing a very religious lady from, uh, from Jamaica. And as we were telling her about the job and telling her that she has to you know, do some sweeping, this and that, she, <clears throat> she asked, she's very religious, she asked, first of all, if she could read the Bible in my house. I'm like, the old one or the new one? She's like, both. I said, mm, I don't think so. But then, no New Testament over here. But then she said, what about prayer? Can I pray? I said, well, what is that? What do you, what do you mean, prayer? She's like, you know, when I'm sleeping, you know, I'll, I'll talk to the Lord and I'll thank the Lord. And I'm like, if you do it quietly. But then I was thinking, she's sweeping and thanking the Lord. And we're sleeping and complaining. We have to take note that every moment, doesn't matter what we're doing, it's from a Kaddish Baruch and it's a blessing. And, and the fact that we have a broom, the fact that we have a floor, the fact that we have crumbs, which means we have food, we have a house or an apartment, and we have a broom. 
And maybe we also have people we're sweeping up afterwards. A wife or kids. How do you look at the sweeping? Oh gosh, I have to sweep again. This is so annoying. My kids make a mess. Or, wow. I wish they would clean up, but you know what? Baruch Hashem. I have a floor and I have kids and I have crumbs. Then we should be zochet to this the positivity bias. Mitzvah will continue next week. Hey, hey, Shkaya. It's lucky, guys.